So good to see you today. We're grateful for your presence. It's a beautiful day. We're thankful to be together. We look forward to being back again tonight. I hope you'll be back with us this evening at 6 p.m. as we have another worship service and enjoy fellowship with one another. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We are so grateful that you've chosen to come to be with us today. We're always thankful for visitors. We appreciate so much those of you that have identified with us who are now members here. We're grateful for the contribution that you have made thus far. We look forward to having a great year, 2021. Hopefully and prayerfully will be much better than 2020. And so we're grateful to be together today. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 in our study together this morning. The theme of our study today has to do with God's children. And the fact that God's children have been blessed by God. It is a tremendous blessing to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. We understand that God has lavished upon us so many blessings in this life. But as a child of God, in many ways, we are blessed above the rest, aren't we? God has showered upon us an abundant array of blessings. Blessings that we enjoy each and every day. John in 1 John chapter 3 talks about some of the intrinsic blessings that we enjoy as God's people. As we look at this text today, I want to begin by talking about the dignity of a child of God. If you are a child of God, you enjoy a unique relationship to the King, don't you? You know, we talk about relationships in this world and how blessed we are to be associated with certain people. Did you know that Paul said that those of us who belong to the body of Christ, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, according to Romans chapter 8. It is a tremendous blessing to be a part of God's family. And so in 1 John chapter 3, John writes, Behold, in other words, take note of what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Now let's just pause there for a minute and think for a moment or two about the immeasurable love that God has bestowed on us. Did you know that the very essence of the nature of God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to what John said. God is love. God is the one who has lavished upon us divine love. Now, over and over again in Scripture, the Bible declares the tremendous love that God has for us. When you leave here today, if you didn't know something about the love of God, I hope that you leave here today knowing above all things, that God loves you. God not only declares His love, but He has demonstrated that love toward us. With regard to the love of God, His immeasurable love, 
Do you remember Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8 he said, but God commends His own love toward us. I think about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. The love of God is inclusive. He loves all people. Every single person who has ever graced this earth has been the recipient of God's love. Now John declares that love. Again, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. But how then did God declare His love for those of us who belong to the human family? Well, John said, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. You remember again, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. How did He demonstrate that love? Well, Jesus said it. That He gave His only begotten Son, that is, the only one of His kind. God has demonstrated His love for each of us. There's no denying that divine love. And by the way, to remember that God loves us whether we, are a, whether we are a saint or a sinner. Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we're identified as saints. We've been set apart. But God still loves those who are living in sin. His plea is, as Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being rest. And then, Think about this. Not only does the Bible identify for us the immeasurable love God has bestowed on us, but the incredible liberties God has bestowed on us. I said a minute ago that we as children of God, we are blessed above the rest. I know God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust, the providential care of His creation. But we're unique people. And based upon our relationship to God, we enjoy a unique relationship to the Lord, don't we? Matter of fact, we have a relationship to the Lord and in the Lord. If you go back and look at 1 John chapter 1, in verse 3, John said, These, he said, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and with His Son, well, really with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Not only do we have fellowship with God, with the Son, we have fellowship with one another. You remember Paul in 1 in Corinthians chapter 1 said, God is faithful by whom you've been called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is this vertical relationship that we enjoy with deity. But then as John said, we not only have fellowship with the Father and the Son, we have fellowship with one another. We are, as Peter said, people of like precious faith. The early church, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2, 
They were said to have continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. There is a sense of togetherness or oneness in Christ. So you talk about these incredible liberties that God has showered upon us. To know that you have a relationship with the Lord. And not only do you have a relationship with the Lord, but you have a relationship in the Lord. There are ties that bind us together, that are stronger than our own biological family ties. And then what about our riches in the Lord? Too often in life we live as if we're in poverty, and yet in Christ, what the Bible says is, we're rich. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, every spiritual blessing known to man resides in one place. You know where that is? It's in Christ. I mean, you think about, we are the recipients of all these great blessings God has bestowed on us. Listen to him in verse 7. He said, in Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. God's grace is rich. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Back in verse 4, Paul would say, But God who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace are you saved. So if you're in Christ, you talk about being a dignified person. Well, we belong to the King, don't we? We are blessed because of our relationship in the Lord, to the Lord, and because of His vast array of riches in Christ. All these great riches that we enjoy. And then what about our resources? You think about the very creator of the heavens and the earth. The one of whom Paul said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Father we serve owns everything. Everything belongs to God. And yet God, because of His love and care for those of us who are part of His creation, has provided us with the resource of prayer so that we might communicate to Him our needs and wants, expressing thanksgiving for all the wonderful blessings He's given to us. 1 John chapter 5, John said, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, listen to this, He hears us. We don't have the ability to pick up the telephone and call the president. I dare say many of us have the ability to pick up the telephone and call the governor or a senator or a congressperson. And yet, we have the opportunity to stand in the presence of God and to lift our voices up to Him. To recognize that there's a God in heaven who hears our prayers. Now you tell me we don't have a resource. Tell me we're not rich beyond compare. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Solomon said in Proverbs 15, the prayer of the upright is His delight. 
You are not bothersome to God when you approach Him in prayer. There are those in the world today, those who are part of the body of Christ, who feel as if sometimes they weary God because of their ceaseless pleadings and prayers to Him. Look, God, God's not upset with you when you pray to Him. But rather, God delights in hearing from you. Why? Because you're His child. And then what about our reward in the Lord? And you think about life as we know it. And all the great blessings that we enjoy in this life. But as a child of God, we have something that lies beyond this veil of tears, don't we? Didn't John say, this is the promise that He's promised us. Listen to him. 1 John 2.25, eternal life. In 1 John 5, verse 13, John said that he had written these things so that we might know that we have eternal life. Can you know that you are bound for the promised land? The answer is yes. Paul would say, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. That Saturday morning, Nancy and I were on our way back from Nashville. Hadn't gotten far out of Nashville when we saw traffic backed up in the eastbound lane on I-40. As we got closer, we realized there had been an accident. The car had left the interstate, unfortunately hit a rock mound, I guess. They had tarp over the car. Automatically, you know, there's been loss of life here. Three young men died in that car wreck from Memphis in the late 20s. When I saw that accident, I thought about it's 11, 11, 15 in the morning. These young men have died. They have family somewhere that know nothing about their deaths. Gone. Just like that. Life is fragile. You and I have no promises for tomorrow, do we? And yet, as a child of God, we have the hope of life eternal. We're dignified. We are somebody in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, everybody is somebody to God. So what a blessing it is to be a child of God. There's a second thought here, and we'll maybe expand a little bit more about this idea of eternal life. The destiny of a child of God. What about our destiny? John talks about the promise of His coming. There's not just the promise of His coming, there is the promise at His coming. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3 again. John would write in 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world did not know us, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. 
It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What about the promise of His coming? Is it possible that we've heard so often about the second coming of Christ that we just let it roll off like water off the back of a duck? The Bible assures us that there is coming a day in which the Lord will be revealed from heaven. There is the revelation of His coming, and there ought to be the expectation of His coming. Peter said, the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He said, the heavens will be dissolved with a great noise. The elements will melt with, will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works therein will be burned up. Everything that we see with the visible eye, gone. Jesus will come again. You know, John said in Revelation chapter 1, every eye shall see Him. Listen to John. He said, when He is revealed, we will see Him as He is. You ever thought about standing in the presence of deity? And you think about one day, you're going to be face to face with the King of kings, the Lord Jesus. Now, we've talked a lot about Jesus in this life. We have prayed, giving God thanks for the life of Christ and for His death on our behalf. We sing about Him every week, don't we? And then we try to live so that we might glorify Him day in and day out, and yet to know that there is coming a day in which we will stand in the presence of God. We'll be ushered before His throne. Do you anticipate that day? Do you live in expectation of the coming of Jesus? I don't know when that's going to be. Might be in my lifetime, might be in your lifetime. Might not be for another million years. Who knows? Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The Lord Jesus is coming. And when He comes, He's coming with the keys to the cemeteries. The doors of the cemeteries will be unlocked and the dead will rise, will they not? So just think about that for a minute. The promise of His coming. But what about the promise at His coming? I said just a moment ago. When Jesus comes, the doors to the cemeteries are going to be unlocked. The dead will rise. Jesus said in John chapter 5, Marvel not, I say unto you, all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Here's what the Bible says. When the Lord Jesus comes, there will be a transformation. Transformation of what? The body in which our eternal soul or spirit is housed. This body will be raised, and this corruptible body will be incorruptible. This mortal body will become immortal. Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
neither does corruption inherit incorruption. When Jesus comes, Paul said the dead will be raised and we shall be changed. How so? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just like that. Listen again to what John said, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, listen to Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote this letter in about A.D. 61 or 62. Six years later, Paul would die for his faith in Christ. And yet, as he wrote to the saints in Philippi, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen, was he not? Paul held dual citizenship. He was a citizen of the Roman Empire, but he was a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You and I are citizens of this country, America. More importantly, though, we are citizens in the kingdom of God. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the idea of His second coming. He said, who shall change our lowly or vile body? that it might be conformed unto His glorious body, whereby He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. When the Lord Jesus comes, the doors of the cemeteries are going to be opened. The dead will rise. And those of us who belong to the family of God, John said, we shall be changed. We will be like the Lord. And we'll see Him as He is. And we will reside in heaven forevermore. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, you need to understand something. You could die. The Lord could come. If you die outside of Christ, Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. If He comes and you're not one of His family members, you think you've got any hope? You have no leverage, no bargaining power whatsoever. I think sometimes we have this idea that, you know, when we stand before God on the day of judgment, maybe we, maybe we weren't what we should have been, but we can bargain with God. We can pray for leniency. We can ask for mercy. Let me tell you what, the day of leniency and mercy is over. Today, Jesus is your Savior. One day, He'll be your judge. To understand, though, that as a child of God, we are people with destiny. That is, we have the hope of heaven. Peter said that we have a hope based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Based upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, one day we too will rise. He said we have an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled. He said it fades not away. And he said it is reserved in heaven for you. If you're a child of God, reservations have been made. So when you stand before the Lord one day, you know what he's going to say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Third thought. 
has to do with the duty of a child of God. And we talk about the dignity of a child of God. In the kingdom of God, we are somebody. The destiny of a child of God. But what about the duty of a child of God? There are a couple of thoughts here. First, as we think about what John is saying, our duty involves death. Death to self and death to sin. Listen now to John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. In other words, we're striving to live a life of holiness and purity. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Hebrew writer said, Follow after holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So we're trying to live a life of purity and holiness. We have died to self, because that is a prerequisite to becoming a part of the kingdom of God. Didn't Jesus say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me? Do you know why some people have never obeyed the gospel? Do you know why some people are not where they ought to be? They want to be in control. They want to be the captain of the ship. They want to be the one at the helm calling all the shots. If you want to be a child of God, you've got to die to self. And that involves dying to the love and the practice of sin. Verse 4, John defines sin. He said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness or iniquity. For lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. In other words, it's iniquity. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. cannot sin because he's been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What John's saying here is that when we become a child of God, that old way of life, that life of habitual sin, just doing what we wanted, when we wanted, where we wanted, those days are gone. Why? Because we died to that old way of life. I'm not saying it's impossible for us to sin. I know that's the case because in 1 John chapter 1, John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In chapter 2 he said, My little children, these things are right to you that you sin not. That's the divine ideal, isn't it? But he said, If any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
What he's saying is, we are out of the sinning business. It might be the case that we succumb to temptation, we slip and fall, but that's not characteristic of who we are. Why? Because we belong to God. We're trying to live as His people. We're trying to rise above a life of sin. One of the key words here is practice. We're trying to practice righteous living. Our life is not defined by habitual, the habitual practice of sin. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I should glory by whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. Crucifixion, crucifixion signifies death, doesn't it? What Paul was saying is he died to sin. Those of us who belong to God, we've died to sin. So, John here, making the point that one of the duties that we have as his children is to die. So it involves not just death, but also devotion. Now there are two thoughts here I want to share with you very quickly. Number one, we must abide in the Word. That is, we must abide in Christ. Look again at verse 6. John said, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. If you go back and look at John chapter 15, Jesus talks about how He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. In about verse 3, He would say, Abide in me and I in you. Several times in John chapter 15, Jesus emphasizes the importance of the branches abiding in the vine. That would be those of us who are His disciples. So we must abide in Christ. We must abide in the Word. There is significance attached to living and walking in the light. So we abide in the Word, but we are to abide also by the Word. In John 8, verse 31, Jesus said, Then are you my disciples. How so? If you abide in my Word. We've got to abide in the Word, who is Christ. We've got to abide by the Word, which is Christ. Listen to John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John said, if we walk in the light, what does it mean to walk in the light? It means to walk in harmony with the will of God, to walk by His commands. And John's saying that those of us who are walking in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And he said, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So as a child of God, His blood is constantly working on my behalf, on your behalf, isn't it? We stand pure and just in the eyes of God on the basis of the blood of Jesus. So we're abiding in the Word and we're abiding in by the Word. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from the entanglement of sin. Free from sin's enslavement. There are a lot of people in the world today, they're enslaved to a way of life. 
And the only way to break that captivity and to enjoy freedom is Jesus. That's it. There is no other way. He is the only source of enjoying freedom. So today I ask you, are you a child of God? If you are a child of God, you have been blessed by God, immeasurably blessed. If you are here and you're not a child of God, could I urge you? Could I persuade you to come to Christ today? You know, I mentioned that automobile accident a few moments ago. There are people who are alive right now that by the time next Sunday rolls around, Lord willing, they won't be here. That's a fact. There are people in the world who are alive and well today, but this time next Sunday, they'll be gone. They'll be in eternity. If you are one of those who will be in eternity, next Sunday, where would you be? Where would you stand in your relationship to God? That's not just preacher talk. This is real world. Where would you be? In Luke 16, when Jesus talked about two deaths, Lazarus, who was carried by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. In other words, he went to paradise. The rich man, however, lifted up his eyes in torment. If you were to step out into eternity this week, where would you be? What would your destiny be? Heaven or hell? You need to think about it. You need to listen. And you need to think seriously about where you will stand on that last day. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I plead with you, come to Christ. If you don't have the blood of Christ in your life, you're lost. We don't hear about people being lost anymore. The Bible says those who are in a lost condition, they have no hope and they're without God in this world. And yet the blood of Jesus can make the difference in your life. You need to believe that He is the Son of God. You need to be willing to repent of all your sins, as Paul said on Mars Hill. God commands all men everywhere to repent. And then to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God to be immersed in water so that all your sins can be forgiven and so that God can add you to His body, the church, which is the saved. Acts 2.47 If you're here today and you're a Christian, but you haven't lived like a Christian, you haven't been faithful for a long time, our plea to you would be, come home. Don't wait. Don't go too far. Don't stay too long. Might be the case you'll never come home. If you'll come today, God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.